Connected TV is one of four YouTube priorities in 2023. Pluto TV gets into live streaming, bolstering the Paramount streaming TV ecosystem. And AI Drake has industry-wide implications. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that, of course, was Colin Dixon from End Screen Media there. At the beginning, Colin, how is everything going on your end? Pretty good, Will. Uh, keeping busy, as always. The, uh, the week was full of lots of news. I, I thought there was lots of news about Fasts this week, continuing to add channels. Even Comcast is leveraging Fasts in its Xfinity service now, just like Fubo TV is leveraging in its subscription TV service. So lots of moves about that. But I think we've talked quite a lot about Fast in the past, and we're going to be taking a little bit of a different direction today, right? Yeah, I mean, my attention has been a little bit diverted to the Celtics this week, who are seemingly doing everything they can to... Uh, not progress in the playoffs, although they're not doing quite as much as the Bucks are doing. But we're recording late Wednesday here, so a lot of that is going to be sorted by the time we post this on Friday morning. And also, um, hard to ignore the kind of bloody Monday, quote-unquote, that the media industry had on Monday between Tucker, of course, Tucker Carlson, Don Lemon, Jeff Shell and the layoffs starting at ESPN. And I think a lot of good folks caught up in that right now as well. So thinking about those folks right now, and I am getting ready to head down to the new fronts starting tomorrow. And I'll be there all of, well, I'll be there Monday through Wednesday next week. So if anybody is going to be down there and wants to meet up for a coffee or anything else to drink, just catch up a little bit, I will be there. Please ping me. But I think we are now going to go ahead and get started. And I am first up, correct? You are. And I hopefully next week you can give us some of the things that you heard at the new fronts that should we should be excited about. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Why don't you why don't you get started? Uh, big. Uh, well, not big news, but uh, incremental news from our friends at Alphabet regarding YouTube, right? Yeah. YouTube is going to be the first new front presenter on Monday. And they're going to be doing it at this new building of theirs called Pure something something i can't remember the name right at the top of my head but looks like it's going to be pretty cool and yeah so alphabet reported earnings this week youtube i think pretty healthy actually a little bit above wall street estimates 6.7 billion in revenue down just a smidge down about two and a half percent from 6.9 billion in uh the quarter first quarter a year ago 2022 so given all the headwinds in advertising right now to be down just uh, less than three percent i think on the revenue on the top line is very respectable that's advertising only of course the um, subscription the premium business youtube tv uh, premium all positive comments so sounds like they were up across all those but they never break those out of course a um, little bit of color they mentioned in the earnings call four key priorities shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody who's been following youtube but four key priorities um, spreading the use of shorts all important shorts engagement on ctv driving the subscription offerings and making YouTube more shoppable. So on the short side, they said the number of channels that have uh, upgraded to offering shorts in their channels is now was up 80%. And the living room is the fastest growing. 
they said on the ad front that YouTube, some studies they've done, YouTube's ROI 40% higher than on linear TV. Uh, key strategy point, they're looking to have YouTube become a quote, one-stop shop for all things ad supported and premium. So that feeds right into what they're doing with the um, NFL Sunday ticket, which we talked about last week or the week before, where they're un- essentially unbundling Sunday ticket subscriptions from an underlying subscription, unlike what DirecTV had been doing for many years, where it was essentially a buy-through. You had to have DirecTV service or access Sunday ticket. So that's now going to be separate a la carte offering. We talked about that. I think we both like that approach a lot. And YouTube has been lapping some very strong comps over the last few quarters from prior quarters during the pandemic and coming right out of the pandemic. So it's obviously no tree grows to the sky, but YouTube still looking pretty darn strong from where I sit. And once the headwinds in the ad business turn back to tailwinds, I think they're a key beneficiary. I do too. And, you know, as we, we've talked about uh, increased use on television, and that's, that's certainly continuing. A couple of interesting things that popped out. One was that they mentioned that YouTube TV sub growth was strong. Unfortunately, they gave us no indication. They sort of said that they saw strong growth in subscription revenue from, quote, YouTube TV and from YouTube Music, which both of which are strong drivers of subscriptions within the company. But that means if there's really been strong growth in YouTube TV, that means that they must be well north of north of 5 million subscribers now because the last time they ever gave any update, which I think was sort of at the beginning of last year, beginning of 2022, they said that there was about 5 million subscribers. So that means that they're making progress even from there. And it looks to me like they're one of only two virtual MVPDs that are doing any growing at all at the moment. The other, the other being Fubo TV. The, all of the rest are sort of stuck at the same number that they've been at for quite a while. So I got to think that that's partly be- because of the marketing power that YouTube is putting behind, or rather Google is, Google is putting behind the service. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I want to cheer you up, Will. There was a, a note that suggests that the video quality is going to get better through YouTube TV. There was a note on Reddit from YouTube about some improvements that they were making. And apparently they're testing some encoding improvements and planning on streaming at a slightly uh, at a at a higher bandwidth to improve quality. I looked in a lot of detail at the quality of the World Cup carried by YouTube, YouTube TV. And I've got to tell you that I think there is room for improvement. And they were pretty close to over the air quality in my testing. Uh, but I think if they were able to boost that quality, they could achieve a quality that was better than over the air, which would be an achievement. I think it would be, it would be a real feather in their cap. Um, I will say, though, they said this was only for 1080p. They didn't talk about their 4K, which people have to pay extra for, and which I was very underwhelmed with during the during my testing of it. Uh, so maybe maybe it'll also improve the 4K experience. But anyway, those well, I are appreciate, a couple of things. I appreciate, you saying that it's, I appreciate you saying that it's good news for me. I would just clarify, though, that I don't think I've ever complained about the quality of the stream on YouTube TV. I've 
been a happy YouTube TV customer for the, since the beginning. I don't even know what that is anymore. Five years, six years? I don't, I don't even know. Seven years when YouTube TV launched? And I continue to be very happy. And typically when I'm watching something on YouTube TV, it's primarily sports is really the only thing I watch on YouTube TV. And even that I don't watch a ton of. And But when I do watch it, I'm usually doing four other things at the same time. So I'm not really super cognizant of the video quality. I think you're a little more of a video file, shall we say, uh, than I am. As long as it's working and there's no buffering and hopefully I'm seeing good news happening on TV well, uh, for my fan, for my for my favorite teams and and uh, players. I'm I'm not complaining, Colin. I don't know. I'm not sure Have if I I'm a, I would Have I, I complained? Would, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure I would class myself as a video file, Will, but I think if they are able to make these improvements, you probably will notice the difference. And all I can say is uh, you should sit down and compare the quality of YouTube TV to some others, which are not nearly as good, I can tell you for sure. Uh, and you would notice the difference, but uh, I guess you're right. I mean, as long as, as long as it's not buffering, as long as you get to watch live, I guess everybody's happy, right? Hey, if, first of all, I'm going to defer to you to do those side-by-side -side comparisons because I think that's more your wheelhouse than mine. And I'll say it again, if the final score is Celtics win, others lose, <laughs> then whatever little quality tidbits didn't happen exactly right are lost in the sands of time from my yeah. perspective. Anyway, you're up next. I am, and there was some interesting news uh, from Pluto TV from Paramount+. Plus. Uh, Pluto TV is getting into the live TV game, which is kind of interesting. I don't think they've really done this in in the past. Now, CBS has long been the home of the Tony Awards, and they've broadcast that uh, that awards ceremony each year. Uh, but they're doing it a little bit differently this year. Apparently, what they're doing is they're going to broadcast the pre-show, uh, and we were they haven't said exactly what's going to be included in that content, except. They've said that the pre-show will include, quote, live and exclusive content, including the early rounds of the Tony Awards, which I guess is the, maybe the more technical awards and things that people really don't pay as much attention to. Uh, that will be included from 6.30 to 8, I think, Eastern Time on, Par on Pluto TV. And then the live... Tony Award show, actual show, will then be broadcast on CBS stations, local CBS stations, and exclusively through Paramount Plus online. So this is, I think, an interesting move for Pluto TV because it, it, one of the things I, I like about this is it really shows how a free service and a pay service can really cooperate and help each other out so doing this i think will a it will boost the exposure that pluto tv gets it will boost the exposure that paramount plus gets and hopefully recruit users and subscribers for each but i think last week we talked about shoulder content we talked about this extra content that you get with sports you obviously get a lot of this shoulder content as well with an award show and this is a great way of taking this this uh, minority content and stuff that might not make money on a traditional broadcast environment 
but really using it on a global platform and a, and a, a, a national platform like Pluto TV to reach a much bigger audience in one platform with this content and putting it putting it out there available for free and so you get all of these benefits where you get extra advertising revenue for that stuff where you might not have been able to monetize it before you get uh, engaged super fans who were looking for that type of content and you might even draw in some since it's free some some new viewers and drive viewership of uh, usage of pluto tv and of paramount plus so it looks to me like it's a win-win-win and another great example of how the internet gives you more options with how you can leverage assets that you may already have purchased a license to yeah, I agree. I think that's a, I think that's a solid recap, Colin. It seems like it's a win for everybody. Uh, expands the market, as you said. Gives Pluto some more branding. Helps drive Paramount subscriptions, Paramount Plus subscriptions. Helps drive more usage on Pluto down the road. It's definitely. It feels very synergistic to me. And um, to your point, I think with this quote unquote shoulder content. In other words, the content that wraps around other, you know, the main event, so to speak. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that going forward. It, it makes a lot of sense to have the, um, you know, kind of fast or free services carry this stuff as well for all the good benefits and reasons that you said before for their for their paid services to help their paid services. Yeah, and and it really makes a, an interesting statement about the versatility of a platform of a fast platform like Pluto, Pluto TV will and it really makes me wonder about the future of broadcasting I noted that the BBC the director general of the BBC said at the end of last year that he thought that there was a strong possibility that the company could actually shut down its broadcast fabric in the UK within 10 years and move completely to a streaming model which would be something and uh, I you know I wonder if there's something afoot here in the US that's similar where pretty much everything that you can do with broadcast you'll be able to do it right here uh, online through platforms like Pluto TV I'm, I know that that's something that broadcasters aren't key to here I note that the FCC is going to be helping next gen TV AST, ASTC 3.0 uh, and trying to find a way to jumpstart that for the broadcast industry and protect those, what is it, 20, I think 20 million homes or 18 million homes that are actually using over the air today. Uh, but, you know, makes you wonder about when you see Pluto TV and uh, doing live and you see a lot of the platforms now starting to blend live and, and on-demand assets into linear channels and and all doing that in the free environment. Well, makes you wonder about the future of the broadcast TV industry here too, right? Well, I mean, the broadcasters make a fortune of money from retransmission consent fees uh, that they're paid by the pay TV operators. So it's hard to believe that they're gonna be dropping that leg of their revenue model voluntarily anytime soon. The only in my view, conceivable reason why they would do that is, and you know, also as part of doing that, cough up that free spectrum that was granted to them decades ago for which they paid absolutely nothing. Uh, the only reason I could see them possibly doing that is because the cell companies need that spectrum for some next generation 8G or whatever you want to call it service, and they're willing to pay, you know, who knows what 
to reclaim that spectrum. But short of that, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd want to know more about why the BBC would say that for 10 years. But here in the U.S., I don't see why the broadcasters would willingly walk away from those broadcasts, that broadcast spectrum, under any circumstances. Uh, yeah, at all. well, you could be. I don't know. You could be right, but uh, I mean, what's I, different about the BBC, Colin? Do they not get paid some sort of? They get a government fee, isn't that right? Um, no, 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 no. It, it's no? it's it's still public funded. It's just that it's a mandatory. It's like a tax that goes directly to the BBC. Right. But let's let's not let's not worry about that. It's a very different model and. They also don't pay for the spectrum that they use. It's given to them, given to them by the government as well. So it's a little bit different, a little bit different model there. Well, broadcasters here don't pay for the spectrum either. They never paid for that spectrum, but then they cleverly figured out how to charge retransmission consent fees to the well, pay TV and that's, operators. That's where I was going with this. Will. <laughs> Which the BBC doesn't get is what you're saying, if, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, they don't they, get that, this. And that, I, that's yeah. what I meant to, yeah. meant to right. say. The okay. BBC doesn't get retransmission fees. Yeah, so they can fees. lose that. They don't lose that. Yeah, but I just point to what's happened with the source of those retransmission fees. Over the last two years, pay television industry has lost 10 million subscribers and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see it continue to do that, particularly with sports migrating online. What do we think? Where do we think it's going to be in 10 years? Well, I'm not, I'm not prepared to plant my flag totally yet, but I can tell you it's going to be a lot smaller industry than it is today. And that, that, those retransmission fees are going to be a lot smaller part of anybody that's in media, any broadcaster, it's going to be a lot smaller part of their financial, um, their revenue. So, well, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's indisputable. Yet, let's think about how big that iceberg is that's melting slowly right now. If you're a broadcaster and you get, just to make numbers round, five dollars a month in retrans fees, and there are seventy million pay TV households out there. That's 350 million bucks per month in retrans fees times 12, $4 billion a year, if I'm doing the math right, in retrans fees. Did I do the math right, Colin? That was right off the top of my head. That's the iceberg that's going to melt, as you're describing, over the next 10 years. Even if that melts by 50%, that's still a couple billion dollars. So again, I think, I think they'd be pretty reluctant to do that unless again, they got some better offer from somebody to cough that spectrum up and cancel out those retrans fees. Yeah. Did I do that math right off the top of my head? I'm not even sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a lot of money. But, you know, uh, over the next 10 years, I think, what is it going to be, half? Two billion. Half the homes? Less? Two, two billion. I don't know. Yeah, which is still a big number, but... What what will the streaming industry be generating at that time in advertising and, and subscription revenues? And I suspect the lion's share will be there. But I guess this is a much bigger topic <laughs> we've maybe got <laughs> well, time to deal with today in the podcast. Well, let's go from the frying pan to the fire as we undertake our third topic today with uh, a little bit of trepidation here because we're going to wander into the AI waters, which... We have not done so much of in the past here on Inside the Stream, but I 
uh, speaking just for myself for a second, have been really trying as hard as I can to stay up on what's happening with AI. It's obviously been impossible to miss over the past six months. It's really become a dominant theme in the industry, not our industry specifically, but tech in general, and even more broadly, societally in general. Um, and surely, of course, we know there are intersection points with video, but uh, a article that I caught up on over last weekend which was published in The Verge last week, which I thought still seemed timely, at least to raise. And I certainly want to caution our listeners, they're not about to, you know, find out what the silver bullet of AI is for video in this next three to five minutes. But but it really did get my attention, this article in The Verge about this so-called AI Drake um, hopefully our listeners know who Drake is, but uh, there was an AI-generated version of a, not even a version, it was a new song, it was a new work, but it sampled part of um, a Drake song, and uh, also The weekend, also. And that then triggered a bunch of different actions posted on Apple Music, it was posted on Spotify, YouTube, and TikTok. And without getting into too much detail, there were a whole series of things that then occurred with it being taken down, not being taken down, being put back up, a whole bunch of things. But the, the meat and potatoes of this item is that it raises a whole host of issues around fair use in an AI era and whether fair use can be considered on an underlying or derivative uh, work that um, might be generated from by AI uh, as opposed to it being a copyright claim on the work itself. And of course, AI, that's the way it works is that it's basically tapping into a, you know, a set of data or a corpus, you know, whatever the proper word is in that realm, to basically return answers or content that is packaged into natural language. That's the sort of magic under the AI hood. And here we have it being applied to music and the implications are pretty complicated. It's not clear whether Google or Microsoft, where they would ultimately come out on this, because of course they are big investors and proponents of AI. So they need to be careful about not drawing the line too tightly on AI's ability to do these things in music, even though they have to be wary of legal action by the studios and other labels. Um, so it's it's pretty it's pretty complicated, a little bit hairy stuff, a little bit out of my sort of sweet spot, but caught my attention because again I've been spending a bunch of time trying to get up to speed on AI, just like a lot of people have, and this landed right in the intersection with video and music, and uh, thought it was at least worth bringing up to our listeners' attention. And I'm going to include the link. We'll include the link in our posts on this, and I just again, because we're not going to do this thing credit in three to five minutes, encourage listeners to take a peek at this post from The Verge. And it was written about in other places as well, because it 
I think really does just scratch the surface of what's coming here at the intersection of AI, music, and video. Yeah, and I think it really has implications for anybody that is creating content, Will, because this is all fodder for the AIs to ingest and, and understand and reinterpret. Uh, so it, it actually, in, in a very real sense, impacts us and people writing, people creating podcasts and you know, on the radio, really all of the creative community, I think, should be paying attention. But, you know, one of the things that was very clear at NAB is that AI is now being sort of broadly applied in the media space. So I think the, the technology that's being used to ingest this content into the AI is worth spending a little bit of, bit of time just with a couple of examples of that that I encountered at NAB. And the great thing about these examples is that there's no legal jeopardy here. There's no question about fair use because it's the, the content that it's AI is processing, quote, ingesting, is, is owned by the organizations that are actually employing it. The two in particular I wanted to talk about, well, the first one was with a company called Newsbridge. And I really like this, the application of this, because uh, what, what's, what's happening here is the AI is being used to enrich the data, the metadata about the content. And it's, it's so advanced now, Will, that the AI can actually recognize faces and locations and icons and whatnot within the video and tag the locations of that. And when I say it can recognize faces, it can. Like for example, if you show it a video of Barack Obama, it will learn Barack Obama's face and be able to recognize that face in other videos. And uh, I was talking with Frederic Petitpont, who's the CTO of Newsbridge, and he was talking about their mixed T1 solution, uh, what they're doing there. And this is really optimized for news. Um, so they, they are able to process a whole bunch of videos and then use natural language to index and find videos. So for example, you could ask it something like, show me Barack Obama playing basketball at the White House. And the AI has tagged all of those videos so that the information is there. The AI, the AI will process that natural language request, reach out, and grab all of those assets that match that request and lo and behold you're watching a video of Barack Obama playing basketball in the White House. I thought that was very powerful um, you know a very very powerful solution and this was also something that a lot of people were doing. I talked to another company called Veritone and they're also doing that um, but they're also, they sort of intimated that it could be taken one step further, which takes us more into the sort of Drake territory. But again, this would be in the context where the legal implications are much more constrained. They said that, um, you know, annotating video in this way allowed you to sort of take the, the chat GPT approach to a script. So there's certain types of shows that are quite formulaic that a chat GPT type approach could easily create a script, pull the assets and put together a show of clips that, that sort of string together. And um, They sort of said, you know, they gave an example like a, a show about 80s comedians. You know, there you've got a ton of 
content and what's the the real struggle there is annotating that content and then being able to index it quickly and AI solves all those problems so it knows what's out there it could actually create a script so maybe Richard Pryor videos a show about Richard Pryor and it could pull those and string them together into a into a show and then a human can review the different versions of that and decide which one is worth taking forward into a real show so I thought that was interesting, but it really, those two examples, I think, really give you an example of the power of AI that it's bringing to being able to interpret what's going on in video and in music and in all media and allowing it to then go on to this next step, which is to actually create, um, create derivative works. Um, now, my two examples all completely legal no question no question about the legality of what's going on there but i think it shows what could be going on with the drake example yeah well this this whole notion of generative ai for sure there are so many different angles to explore and um you know this is a bit of our first foray into this and it's a relatively quick brief one but uh i think we're going to probably be spending a bunch more time on this going forward, Colin, because as you just mentioned, and as I think we all know, huge implications of generative AI on the creative process, the discovery process, the user experience, the monetization models, lots of stuff to keep an eye on. So I think we're going to I think we're going to leave it at that today, except I think you have one last little tidbit about Netflix in one minute or less, just to follow I, on I last do, week. I do. Well, we talked a lot about Netflix last week, so I don't want to spend too long on this. But it looks like uh, Netflix has been bitten by the K-drama bug. They're really pleased with the way shows like Squid Game, The Glory, and Physical 101 have done. And they are going to invest $2.5 billion into the Korean video industry. This is as much as they have invested, I think, ever in Korea. So this is a really big step for them. But boy, the popularity of Korean content really seems to be uh, driving them to do it. So this is this really goes back to something that Ted Sarandos has been saying for a long time, and that is they really look for projects for movies, etc., that they can invest in that have a strong local flavor, but have also equally strong global interest. And Korean K-dramas K are exactly that right now. So it uh, looks like we're going to be seeing a lot more Korean dramas on Netflix in the next year. Well, we're seeing more Korean dramas on Netflix because Netflix knows its data and they know what its viewers are watching and if they're investing more it's because that's what their viewers have told them in so many words they want so that's yeah. the way it goes right <laughs> yeah but, but really 15 percent of their content budget will that's you know they're spending what 17 billion this year on content and they're going to send 15 percent of that to south korea that's a that's a huge statement right there the only thing i know about korean content is the movie parasite which i thought was off the charts, original, compelling. So maybe I need to be watching more Korean content because that movie was, I really thought, fantastic. Yeah, well, it could be. We all will be. But anyway, I think we're just about out of time, Will. Okie doke, Colin. Uh, anybody going to be at New Fronts next week who's listening in, please ping me. It'd be great to get together. And um, Colin, I'll sort of bring back what I learned, what I gleaned from the various presentations on next week's podcast. 
Already looking forward to it. Okay, take care. Thanks everyone for listening. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.